inside Florida politics, powered by Gannett, the nation's biggest newspaper company. I'm John Kennedy, coming to you from Gannett's Florida Capitol Bureau in Tallahassee, and I'm joined this week by Antonio Finns, the political editor for the Palm Beach Post, and our special guest this week, Jason Delgado, also of Gannett State Capitol Bureau, who is uh, fresh from our most recent special session on property insurance, whether homeowners should hold any hope of seeing rising insurance rates come back to earth. We'll also discuss Orlando Congresswoman Val Demings, who made it official this week and filed her papers to challenge Republican U.S. Senator Marco Rubio. And of course, we'll go over America's latest mass shooting and whether uh, lessons learned in Florida's pulse and parkland slaughters of a few years ago can be applied nationwide. But first, that music can mean only one thing, and it's time for us to pick a number that has some connection to Florida politics this week. Jason, you're a newcomer here, but uh, this season when everybody's talking about uh, the new Top Gun movie, well, you're kind of like my hangman to uh, my maverick. Uh, I'm sure you've packed a number for us. John, thanks for having me. My number this week is 401. 401 for Jason. Antonio, you're an old hand at this, uh, you know, even the Top Gun reference. So uh, talk to me, Goose. What have you got this week? Hey, Maverick. (laughs) And you know what? I got a number that I picked up in your stomping grounds of Tallahassee last week. 84. 84. Very good. Yeah, we were very happy to have you in uh, the 850 area code last week as you were doing some work for the Tallahassee Democrat for a while. And uh, of course, I, I didn't come empty handed. I've got one, too. And mine is a two. We'll uh, leave you listeners in suspense for a little while, but uh, we'll be back later in the show to explain how these figures, well, you know, how they figure in Florida politics this week. That awful shooting at a Uvalde, Texas school that left 19 children and two teachers dead has really revived a conversation that we seem to have all too frequently in this country. You know, it really boils down to can we ever enact some kind of limits to the availability of high-powered weapons that can be used to commit mass murder in just a matter of minutes. Uh, Floridians, we're, we're, we're sadly very familiar with the discussion. We, we had it after the Orlando Pulse nightclub shooting in 2016 that claimed 49 lives. And in 2018, at Parkland's uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, where 17 died. Antonio, you know, Florida didn't do much after Pulse, despite calls for change. But Parkland did bring a response that is now being talked about in Congress. Uh, really, does it look like raising the age of gun purchases and red flag laws like Florida enacted after Parkland, can, can, can that be approved on a national scale? Yeah, John, I mean, who would have thunk that gun-friendly Florida would, would become a, a potential model for gun safety legislation at the national level? But yeah, look, the, the moment does feel different right now. Uh, but I have to say also as a cautionary note that the moment did feel different in Washington after the horrific massacre at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School here in Broward County, you know what, four years ago. At the time, actually, I was working in, in Washington, and I remember a meeting in which then-President Trump told congressional leaders that he wasn't afraid of the NRA and he was going to push substantial reforms. And then, interestingly, a night or two later, I was leaving my office there on Connecticut Avenue, and I noticed that the vice presidential motorcade was leaving the White House complex much later than normal. Well, it turns out there had been a late meeting at the executive mansion between Trump, 
Vice President Mike Pence and the NRA. And sure enough, next to nothing on the federal level got done at that time. Look, we, we've seen that pattern so many times. And I hate to be a skeptic on something this important, but I, I am doing some vote counting here. And unless Senate Democrats change the filibuster, they will need 10 Republicans to join them in backing any kind of gun safety measures. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but those 10 votes have been really hard to come by in just about every issue on Capitol Hill, except when it came to bringing down some you know, federal dollars to transportation. And you know, just look at Florida's two U.S. senators. Marco Rubio ranks fifth with 3.3 million or so on a list by the Brady campaign of senators who, through 2020, had gotten the most in NRA donations. On the other hand, Rick Scott was Florida's governor at the time of the Parkland high school mass shooting. So he might be willing you know, to sign off at the federal level on the same rules that he signed off in Florida. The thing is, though, look, he's, he's also in charge of that Senate, you know, uh, Senate take back the Senate fundraising campaign uh, for Republicans. So does he really want to get out on a limb on something that you know, might upset the apple cart in an election year that is looking good for Republicans on Capitol Hill right now. Yeah, that's a very good point because uh, he has been uh, kind of quiet since uh, initially uh, right after the shooting. He did mention his role in getting that Parkland legislation passed in Florida back as governor. But now he has quickly pivoted around to what seems to be the talking point for many ruling Republicans in uh, in, in, in Congress. And that's to, uh, you know, go for uh, mental health changes, you know, that the, the the system is broken, that type of thing, as opposed to really addressing anything with firearms. Look, and the other issue here is that there are a lot of focus on NRA money and the influence of the NRA. But I have to tell you, you know, just looking at Florida, there's another issue here. And that is that in this state, just like in the rest of, the, of America, there is an electorate and a very broad and wide electorate that is just simply enamored with weaponry. John, you know, one of our colleagues, Anna Gonyi Lesson of the Tallahassee Democrat just this week wrote a really eye-opening story. It was about a charter school near Tallahassee that decided to raise funds by raffling off revolvers, handguns, a long rifle, and a semi-automatic uh, assault rifle. Yep, they sold $100 raffle tickets and gleefully posted videos on the school's Facebook page of the winners having their names drawn. Now, look, you may say, okay, that's a really extreme case. But, you know, maybe it's just not that far off the norm in many parts of America and many parts of Florida. It, it may not be the, you know, schools you know, raffling off weaponry to raise money may not be the mainstream, but it's not exactly the far off way extreme fringe either. You know, this is a country that simply loves its weaponry. You know, it's steeped in the idea of, a, of citizens armed against a tyrannical government, and it celebrates gun violence in its movies and television shows. The NRA and money and its money are major players, no doubt. But I think the challenge facing advocates for gun safety measures right now, it goes a little bit far, goes far deeper. Yeah, remarkable. And yeah, yeah, here we have you know, selling an AR-15 is more profitable for a school now than trying to sell cupcakes, I guess. That wasn't your typical Sally Foster and uh, you know, <laughs> Girl Scout cookie campaign. That's right. Sure. Chocolate bars or something, yeah. Jason, you know, we're also hearing Florida Republicans. They, they've been strangely quiet after Uvalde, too. Uh, Governor DeSantis has said nothing after lowering flags to half-staff following the uh, shooting. Uh, the House Speaker, Chris Sprouls, and Senate President uh, Wilton Simpson, they've also been pretty silent. Uh, taking, as they usually do, their cues from DeSantis. I, I wonder, is, is this all in fear of possibly alienating anyone in the Republican Party's far right? Sure, John. I mean, this looks like strategic radio silence. If 
Uh, gun laws are always a touchy subject, but after another mass shooting and, and with elections on the horizon, I mean, I think it's fair to say that Republicans are between a rock and a hard place on the issue. Um, abortion, too. The, the silence there is notable. Um, these issues mobilize voters and DeSantis, who is typically outspoken, uh, won't say whether he'll further limit abortion access in, in Florida. And back on guns, it's it's worth noting that DeSantis just weeks ago said he would allow constitutional carry in Florida. Um, it, it's something gun groups have long called for. Um, but after Texas, like what reporter wouldn't circle back to that and question him or any GOP lawmaker on it? Yeah, there, there is all that. It's a it's a real question about which way their things are going right now, it seems like. Um, you know, well, you know, we've seen the, the, the question of gun access and public safety is is really just one of the issues that will be a point of contrast between Republican Senator Marco Rubio and Orlando Democrat Val Demings. She uh, submitted her candidacy papers this week, uh, officially setting the stage for Demings now, uh, a black three-term member of Congress and former Orlando police chief to uh, run against the two-term senator who uh, also we remember he was a presidential contender in 2016 who lost badly to uh, eventual nominee uh, Donald Trump. But, uh, you know, it, it's hard to unseat a senator, Antonio. Uh, did, do you see any path for Demings to do just that? You know, John, what I'm, from what I'm hearing from my sources and people watching this race closely is that it looked better for her about a year ago when she first announced her candidacy in that very good Get to Know Me video. A year later, as as you saw when she uh, actually officially filed her paperwork in Tallahassee this week, uh, you know, sources are telling me that the challenge she faces has gotten way more complicated. But it's not because of anything she's done wrong or anything that she's just not done right. I'm told it, it Demings has raised a lot of money and she has been a very formidable candidate. She has given some riveting campaign speeches, including a really impassioned one in her hometown of Jacksonville right after the leak of that draft Supreme Court opinion to void Roe versus Wade. Uh, the problem, I'm told, is threefold. One is Washington. The Biden administration is really struggling with the economy, and Florida is, is paying a price for that. Floridians are paying the highest gasoline prices ever, really, in, in, a, in a state that really is a, depends on its automobiles for commuting to work and also for drive-in tourism. You know, and a good part of those record prices deal with the Ukraine war, but Republicans have been extremely adroit at tagging the Biden White House for the historically high gasoline prices, plus a 40-year high spike in inflation. And in fact, inflation has drowned out what should be a really strong economic point for Democrats, record low unemployment. Second, there is Florida. It has turned redder and redder over the last half decade. And I don't see, at least from my check of voter registration records, I don't see Democrats turning that tide. In fact, as of April, the trend has grown even more favorable for Rubio, with Republicans now holding 135,000 vote margin over Democrats. And, and third point here is, is that Rubio himself has gotten a second win. Remember about a year ago, you know, he, there was talk that maybe Ivanka Trump might primary him. Rubio is somebody that Trump base has always kind of looked at literally because he did run. They had that ugly face off in one of the campaign, one of the uh, the uh, debates in that 2016 campaign. Uh, Rubio also angered the Tea Party base early in his first term as senator when he flip flopped on immigration. But now he's gotten a second win. He recently heralded the endorsement of the Florida Police Benevolent Association. He's been touting the endorsement of the vast majority of Florida sheriffs. And meanwhile, Overtures by the Biden administration to the communist and left-wing dictators in Cuba and Venezuela 
have galvanized an important Rubio constituency, and that is South Florida's conservative and hawkish foreign policy Hispanics. So all of that bodes you know, very well for the incumbent senator. And it doesn't bode well for Deming's candidacy heading into the home stretch of, of this 2022 election. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, drags created by the uh, Democrats nationally right now, including Biden's performance, uh, you know, in this state and also uh, nationally as far as his approval rating is really at a, uh, you know, personal all time low, it seems like. So that does not help anybody that's trying to uh, run statewide, whether it's running for U.S. Senate or whether it's uh, any of the gubernatorial candidates that are looking to defeat Governor DeSantis uh, this fall, but uh, Demings is in. And as you pointed out, she has raised money. She has raised about $30 million, which is pretty much matching what uh, what Rubio has raised so far. So that that's a point in her favor, but uh, it is an uphill climb right now. And she is still at the point where she's kind of introducing herself to Floridians. Jason, uh, by, by contrast, you, you spent three days last week consumed by a property insurance special session, uh, which was basically a, a redo of a topic that lawmakers failed to finalize anything on during the regular session this spring, but uh, which you know came suddenly back into focus by a handful of insurance companies either going out of business or just not writing any more policies in Florida. Basically, we're seeing insurance rates go sky high for many people. Now, now Jason, insurance is a dull, dense topic. But like a lot of what we cover as reporters, it's still very important to people and they need to be able to understand what's going on. But probably most have a, a very simple question, and that's, will my rates start going down? I'm asking you, get out your magic eight ball. What would you tell me now? <laughs> so I guess I'll deliver the bad news. Uh, consumer <laughs> relief is, is a long way away, and uh -huh. there is no magic solution. Uh, in, in Tallahassee, a town where people rarely agree, I mean, lawmakers agree on that. Um, and like any legislation, it, it, it may take months or years for us to feel its effects at scale. And in this case, it may very well take years. Um, beyond that, some issues are just simply out of Tallahassee's control. Um, Inflation is a prime example. Uh, the rising cost of labor and, and construction material isn't something state lawmakers can necessarily uh, wrangle in, uh, try as they might. Yeah, it's really a, a, a lot of market issues, I guess, that this uh, state is trying to uh, change and kind of regulate. Uh, the state has come forward with a $2 billion in taxpayer money to help uh, provide more reinsurance for insurance companies. That's seen as something that maybe uh, gives a little bit more confidence to carriers. But um, it really is a uh, unknown right now uh, as to what impact all these changes that were enacted will have on uh, insurance in the state. So anyway, keep, keep those bills are going to keep climbing, it appears like for now. That seems to be your conclusion. Is that it, Jay? Yeah, and it is. And, and, you know, we saw lawmakers, many of them, you know, trying to scrambling to, to wrap their head around this issue in what was only three days. Yeah, yeah, it was very rapid. And um, a lot of the ideas were very, this very similar to the ideas that have been kicked around and failed to reach a consensus on during the session. Well, keep those numbers going high. But hey, speaking of numbers, that music means it's time for us to go back to those numbers we talked about. Now, Jason, you came in a, just a little while ago with a 401. Can you tell us what that's about? 401 is the number of volunteers that Governor DeSantis is seeking to staff the new State Guard. Uh, just this week, Florida began to accept applications. The State Guard is going to be Florida's own militia group. So un unlike the National Guard, who also answers to the president and deploys on federal missions, 
This state guard is accountable only to the governor. It'll only take state dollars and will only serve within the state of Florida. The idea is that with the number of guardsmen deploying on federal missions more and more frequently, uh, the state will now have a 400-man woman reserve of, uh, of troops who can uh, backfill during natural disasters and other sort of states of emergency. 401 positions wanted, volunteers stepping forward. Antonio, you had an 84. What's 84 about? Yeah, John, you know, for decades, we've been hearing from Second Amendment supporters that who've insisted that gun owners are the most law-abiding, the most conscientious and trained and careful people. So if you wanted to end gun violence, they've insisted, you know, focus on jailing criminals and, and securing schools and, and making sure that you've got an you know, armed good guy with a gun somewhere to stop a bad guy with a gun. So imagine my surprise, you know, up in Tallahassee in the past week or so, where I have been a substitute editor for, for one of our colleagues up there. Imagine my surprise when I found out that this year alone, 84 firearms were easily stolen from unlocked vehicles. In 2021, that total was 181. Oh, and it's quite a thing up there that the slang for it is, quote unquote, pulling car doors. In fact, on May 7th, police say two teenagers pulling car doors stole a gun from an unlocked car and then used it to carjack a vehicle after firing shots at the vehicle's owner's owner as he ran away. So here up there in, in the state capitol where laws are made, which has been home to NRA icon Marion Hammer, it appears that you know a reliable source of weapons for criminals isn't some dark back alley, but simply the unlocked cars of gun owners. Amazing. Readily available to uh, anybody that wants to get them, especially when you leave them out in the car overnight, I suppose. Well, my number is two. It's looking like it will be two times in the past decade that Florida held congressional elections using a map that has been found unconstitutional by a court. Leon County Circuit Judge J. Lane Smith ruled against a, a congressional plan that was proposed by Governor Ron DeSantis and approved by the legislature. He concluded that the map's elimination of a seat with a large black population stretching from Jacksonville to near Tallahassee, that that map was discriminatory against black voters. And he ordered a, 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 that a new plan be adopted that basically keeps the Jacksonville to Tallahassee district that is now and has been represented by Congressman Al Lawson, a black Democrat uh, who's been elected since 2016. But um, but since that ruling by Judge Smith, uh, an appellate court has allowed the disputed map to remain in place while the state pursues an appeal. Um, yeah, there's been some wrangling between the judge and the first district court of appeal over this stay, as it's called, a legal stay. But the, the matter now is before the Florida Supreme Court, which seems to be likewise uh, in, in no hurry right now to decide the matter. Uh, not, not, it's now accepting legal briefs from all the parties involved. So it looks like a ruling could be you know, still well down the road. Uh, the, the bottom line here, though, is with candidate qualifying coming up the week of uh, June 13th to the 17th, each passing day makes it look more likely that the governor's map is going to be used despite the lower court saying it violates constitutional protections. While eliminating at least one seat now held by black Democrats, it increases by four the number of seats that are likely to be won by Republicans this fall. So that may be the real uh, motivation for uh, Governor DeSantis, who's trying to do everything he can to uh, go along with his party that's seeking to regain control of Congress this fall. 
Um, you know, on the issue of, uh, of of the maps in Florida, a trial will eventually take place in the matter. But, you know, timing is everything. And with the governor intent on helping Republicans win control of Congress this fall, if he can just get one election with the discredited map, I think he'll be happy. Uh, it, it does sound unfair, but it happened before in 2014 when, again, a Leon County judge, this time Terry Lewis, ruled that uh, con the congressional map that had been approved by the Republican legislature, that that map was unconstitutional. But that ruling came in July after qualifying and too complicated, it became too complicated to redo uh, any maps in time. So the 2014 elections were held using the unconstitutional congressional boundaries. And it wasn't until 2015 and the next election in 2016 that a map that met court approval was used. Again, we appear to be headed on a similar track this year. So whoever gets elected this year may win with maybe an asterisk attached, especially whichever Republican wins in what is now four Republican-leaning North Florida districts where Lawson's voters have been scattered. We basically have 370,000 black voters, an overwhelming number of them Democrats, who now will likely be represented by conservative North Florida Republicans. That's kind of the way politics is rolling right now in the uh, Republican-led legislature and the courts where uh, most of the judges have been appointed by Republicans now in this matter. That's all the time we have for this week on Inside Florida Politics. I'd like to thank our producer extraordinaire, Thomas Cordy, who put this show together for us. And thanks to all of you for listening. And stay cool, Florida.